All right, Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. So you guys, we are in the Advent season and the theme that we're going to be talking through today from Isaiah chapter 40 is hope. It's really a message of hope. And if you've been reading along in the reading plan, which has taken us through the whole book of Isaiah, after Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, man, we could use some hope. <laughs> man, that has been some rough reading. And as we go through that, man, the whole story is a story of discipline, the discipline and the judgment of God upon his children who have been rebellious and just rejecting their father. And so if you've been reading it, you know that the judgments have been, he's addressing the Israelites in the northern kingdom. He's, he's addressing the Israelites in the southern kingdom. He's addressing the Egyptians. He's addressing, like, the whole Middle East. God is coming through like a broom and just sweeping them all away because the way that they've been lift, living. These people that have been called out to live with God and then said, actually, no, we're going to do our own thing. He's, like, leaving them to their own devices. Okay, this is what happens when you live in a different way than I've designed you for. And so this whole first half of Isaiah, man, it's been rough because we just picked up the story in the middle of, you know, they had gone through centuries of rebellion and doing things their own way, and God was long-suffering and patient with them and then comes in and says, guys, I got to teach you better than this. You know better than this. And he just allows the Assyrians to come in and wreak havoc. And he used them as that teaching tool. Now, Isaiah 40 comes in, and we're coming into the story, and this is where he starts to remind them, I'm still with you. Even in the midst of trial, and even in discipline, remember God disciplines those he loves, I'm still with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will lead you through some tough trials, but I will also see you through to the other side of those trials. <clears throat> and so Isaiah 40 turns to this kind of uplifting message of God declaring his redemption upon people and his faithfulness to them. And I love the way that he goes about really interacting with the prophet Isaiah and how he tells him, this is what I want you to say to my people. It's really about being a light. It's perfectly fitting for, for where we're at, this season of Advent that we're in now. This light that we receive from Jesus, but then also that light begins to shine within us. In a, in a dim world where sometimes it feels like the darkness all around us is even closing in, it's increasing. But even still, there is a great light. His name is Jesus. And because of him, we can see clearly. We can walk with hope for a brighter future, but even more than the hope that we have, that's, been, that's a message that has been entrusted to us. His light shines through us into the dark world. And no matter how dark things may get, the light that shines through us only becomes brighter. The people in Isaiah's time, and they, they saw the world literally closing in around them. And even to the last second, man, when, when the Assyrians were coming in to take them over, even to the very last second, they refused to put their hope in God but they're trying to make deals with these neighboring nations, say, hey, let's make an alliance to, to stand our ground against them, where God is saying, listen, this is coming no matter which way you try to go. Just walk with me. Just accept it because you're going to get through it to the other side. But to the very last drop, they're fighting the system. They're fighting God's instruction, even as the darkness is coming 
in and threatening them. Their homes, their lives, their way of life, their culture is all being threatened. And God's trying to counsel them through, the, through this, and they're refusing to receive any of it. Isaiah 40 comes in, and those first verses, those first verses, Isaiah is addressing Isaiah. He says it this way, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. He's telling Isaiah, this is the message I want you to give. Speak to, tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. He goes on in verse 3, he says, a voice of one calling. This is what the voice of God is saying. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. This is, this is a message of preparation. When the king is coming to town, the people that are preparing to receive that king, man, they're preparing the way. So every ditch that is in the ground, every high mountain that's in the way, they're going to level this out so that as the king comes, he has a way that is prepared to receive him. And this is the message of hope that God has given them. I'm coming. Prepare the way. Be ready to receive me because I'm coming. Look to me. I'm on the way. I am not going to fall short. I'm on the way. He says in verse 5, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Everyone's going to see it together. It's time to prepare. And he tells them how to do it. And that's what these next verses say. Isaiah rece receives this word from the Lord. He says, go and comfort my people. And Isaiah's in verse 6, look at He says, what shall I say? God tells him, cry out, what shall I say? He sounds in a way, he, he responds in a way that sounds similar to how I've kind of responded when God sends me, tells me to do something. Or many of us have responded when we're prompted to speak up. What do I say? I don't know what to say. What do I do? God had just given him the gist of the message. Look, at this is a message of hope that I you need you to impart to my people. And Isaiah asks, well, okay, well, just, just give me the details. Give me a little bit more to work with. What do you want me to say? And he does. He goes on and expounds. The rest of the chapter is about what message he wants Isaiah to give his people. And he begins here in verse 6. He says, okay, here's the message I want you to tell them, this message of hope. All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. That's how he starts the message of hope. I don't know if that sounds like a very hopeful message. <laughs> your time is, your days are numbered and you're going to die. <laughs> He's basically giving them a, a healthy perception of self. Hey, you have limitations. I'm here to give you a message of hope, but let's just acknowledge your starting point. Without me, you have no hope. There is nothing to look forward to. Like without me, your best days are behind you and there is nothing but sorrow and death left for you. <laughs> he starts this message of hope by sobering them up, by saying, look it, there's hope for you, but just realize the hope for you is not in your ability, not in your strength, not in your intellect, not in anything that you have to offer me. 
but the hope for you actually is me. And the whole message, he goes on in like three waves of telling him, listen, you have limitations in yourself. You have nothing. Look to, look to God. Lift your eyes up and look at me who created you and spoke you into existence. There's three waves of acknowledge who you are, acknowledge who I am. Acknowledge who you are, acknowledge who I am. And this is, this is the source of hope. Isaiah, what shall I say? Lift your eyes up and look to God. How do I prepare the way for the Lord to come? Lift your eyes up and look to God. This is always, this is the gospel message, man. Like when we're hopeless to change our situation, we want God to come. What do I do to convince him to come? There's no convincing. There's just looking to him. He, he has made everything so simple for us. It's just a matter of looking to him and acknowledging his place in our lives. He is our source. He is our hope. He is our all in all. And any hope we have is rooted in him and rooted in his ability, not our own. And this is the whole gist of the message. Lift your eyes up and put your hope in God. He wants them to be self-aware and this is what I find interesting about the message God gives him. He wants the people to be self-aware, and he wants them also to be aware of God's presence and God's identity. Man, when we acknowledge our limitations, our proper place, and then acknowledge him who holds the infinite power, in order to really receive the hope that he has for us, the giver of this hope needs to be given his proper place in our heart. So being reminded that I am like grass, or like it says later on, all nations are like a drop in the bucket, meaningless. That instills in us humility. Like David, King David, when he was thinking about the vastness of God and all the heavens of the earth, he said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Man, knowing our place fosters a humility in us. And it also fosters an appreciation for who God is. And the fact that in his immensity, he cares for even the details of each of our lives. Who is God that we are, he is mindful of us? And yet, who are we? Who, who are we that God is mindful of us and yet... He is. He cares this much. And in order to receive all that he has, man, we just have to have that orientation of humility. Humility is the beginning of wisdom, man. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud, but yet he shows favor to the humble. And this is what, this is what the Israelites in Isaiah's day, they're, they're learning that lesson the hard way. God opposes the proud but yet shows favor to the humble. So this message of hope, man, this is, this is all good that Isaiah is speaking to the people, but it's hard for them to receive because they're in the middle of the harshness of the trials. They're literally facing these life-altering, life-ending trials, not knowing if they're going to live a month from now or if they're going to be swept away. And so their response is this, in verse 27, 
Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Israel's response as they're hearing the words from the Lord, he's trying to give them hope, but they're saying, you don't even see us. Look at our situation. It doesn't even seem like you care. They don't feel like God sees them because they feel maybe like a little child that, well, if, if mommy and daddy really cared, they'd give me what I want. But God's not giving them what they want, and so they say, you don't even see me. You don't even care about my situation because if you did, you had the power to change it. But God said, no, it's not like that, son. I'm trying to teach you a lesson, and the faster that you learn it, the faster I can take you where I want you to go. Right now, you're taking the long way, son. Because you're not listening to my instruction. I have hope for you, and here's where you find it. Follow me to this place. Man, it's so easy for us to get depressed by comparing ourselves and our own situation with those around us. The grass is always greener. We always look around and say, man, they just got so much better. Why? Why do they have this and that? And I, have, I, don't, I don't. The truth is, when we compare, we're only looking at fragments of someone else's story, and we're forgetting about God's sovereignty. He says, lift up your eyes and look to me. Don't look around you and try to interpret what's going on and thinking that they have more favor than you are, or I, have, I, I don't see you, but I see them. I'm giving them all the blessings, and I'm taking them all from you. That's not how it works. Lift your eyes and look to me so that I can provide the hope and renew your strength. He tells them there is still hope. Isaiah 20, uh, 40, 28, and the following verses, he says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. This is how you prepare to receive me. This is how you renew your strength when you don't have any. This is how you get your endurance back when you feel like you have nothing left to give. Lift your eyes up and look to me. Watch me work. Trust me. And it's a challenging thing to do because we feel as though we have a, a part to play in that. We have to do some kind of work. And he's saying, look it, just trust me. Just watch me. Just give me the permission to do in your life what I'm trying to do. Let me walk you through the journey I want to walk you through. But do it with a heart of humility so I can bring you all the way through and you're not going to get stuck in the hard stuff. I want to carry you all the way through. And I will renew your strength. I will give you more endurance. I love how he, he even highlights the youths who are known for endurance. They can run and play all day. They eventually will grow weary, but the Lord does not. The young men who are known for their strength, eventually they will fall and falter, but God does not. He renews the strength and power for all those who look to him. See, the hope and encouragement is this, is that we all have limitations and when we reach our limit and look up to God, putting our hope in him, he renews us. 
And this is the hope that we have, not just in this season of Advent, but this is the hope that we have all day, every day. This is the hope that we have that carries us through this life, and it never goes away. This is the hope that we have received. And this is also where the challenge comes in. A challenge for us is this. This is a hope that we receive, but when we receive the message of hope from God, man, we don't just take things from God and it just kind of sits in us. That's not how it works. We don't just receive, but man, when he speaks a word in us, when he plants a seed in us, that thing grows, that thing nurtures, that, that thing comes to life and changes things. And so this message of hope that we receive is not meant to just sit stagnant in our lives. How could it? When we really understand the vastness and the power of the message of God, it can't just sit with us. It comes through us and makes its way into this world too. It makes its way into those that we interact with. As they see what the power of God looks like as it activates us, as it moves us, because now we do things with a new mentality. We do things with our, a focus that is fixed upon God. So even as we go through our days at work, even go through our, going through our errands and daily tasks, we do so with a focus that is on God, that is hopeful, that is looking on the bright side, that is optimistic, because I know no matter how hard it feels or I'm, what I'm experiencing right now, there's more. There's better. He's taking me through this. And as a matter of fact, there's purpose in this too. So I'm going to let him go take me through the hard stuff because I'm getting through on the other side with something I was missing before it. And if I don't go, I'm not willing to go through the tough stuff, I'm not going to be able to get the treasures and the riches he's trying to instill in me. See, we've got to let him take us through those hard things in order to, to bring out the riches that he has planted within us. See, his word, his hope activates us. It doesn't just give us hope, but now we live with hope. It's like this infectious thing. That parable in, the, of, in uh, Matthew, I think it's 11, where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that yeast that's mixed into the dough, and that yeast that's mixed into the whole batch, and it changes the whole batch. When that yeast is put in that dough, that thing turns into a nice plump piece of bread. The kingdom of heaven is always advancing. It's infecting. It's contagious everywhere that it goes. And this is how we're called to live. We live with a new mindset, and so that stands out. That looks different. Man, what's so funny about the prophets of the Old Testament is they did some crazy stuff. Isaiah, it says in, I think, Isaiah 20, God tells him to go and preach naked. And he walks around barefoot with no loincloth, no nothing. Because he's given a message, it's given... <laughs> For three years. How'd you like to be in, that, in his shoes? Well, he didn't have any shoes on. <laughs> because he was given a point to these people. He said when, when, when an invading army comes in and takes captive a people group, they lead them away and they do it in a shameful way. They strip them of clothes and shoes and they, wake them and they, and they walk them away naked, shamed because they've been overpowered. Isaiah goes and preaches, he's like, this is what's going to happen to the Egyptians. And it did. There's other, there's other places where um, Ezekiel was told to, I think, lie on his side for 390 days. In, in one place, one of the prophets was told to um, use human dung to cook food over and then prepare a meal and eat it. And he, was that Ezekiel? 
And Ezekiel even said, do I really have to do that, Lord? <laughs> they were told to do crazy things, but it got the attention and pointed the focus on God. God's trying to do something. Look at him. How drastic does he have to get to get your attention and say, lift up your eyes and look to me, people. I love you. Watch me. Watch me work in your life and let me do it. I have a better plan than you. I trust you. I mean, trust me. I've got better plans and even better intentions than you. Trust me. Watch me. Now, we live in a very different world <laughs> than the, 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 the Old Testament folks lived in. And mostly because Jesus has come and fulfilled the thing that was being prophesied about for centuries and millennia. He came and paid that ultimate sacrifice. But even now, just like in the times of old, there's still a message that needs to be shared. This word that we've been talking about, Isaiah 40, this is a prophetic message given to Isaiah that's intended not just for the people of Israel. It's actually still intended for you and I. This message of hope that says, look to me because I'm going to see you through everything. That's still a prophetic message that's speaking today. It still has relevance today. And that's still a message that we need to be sharing out. We don't need the gift of prophecy to share a prophetic message. You ever consider that? To share a prophetic message of hope and encouragement, you don't need the gift of prophecy. If you've received the message of hope, you can give a word of prophecy because it came through the Lord through his prophets. This is still something that God uses, and I won't get into too, too much detail, but Paul, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, he actually tells us, I want you to desire spiritual gifts, and as a matter of fact, especially the gift of prophecy. I want you to desire the gift of prophecy because it's so important. Prophecy is, is something that encourages and strengthens and comforts people in need. It's a word from the Lord, and it's not always this supernatural thing that the Lord kind of downloads and then you speak this encouraging word. This is prophecy right here. Sharing prophecy is sharing, proclaiming the word of God. This is a whole book of prophecy that has been fulfilled. And so we're called out to share this thing. This message of hope, it can't just sit inside. It has to burst forth. When God speaks, his words don't just fall to the ground without effect. His words, I, I, I see it, it's, it's more like a, a Mentos being dropped into a bottle of Coke. <laughs> when his word drops into your spirit, man, that thing's changing the chemistry on the inside, and it comes bursting forth. When we understand what God is doing in our lives, man, we can't help but change on the inside. And as a matter of fact, once that change comes forth and there's too much pressure... I just got to let it out. Like, that, like the prophet Jeremiah said, when, when Jeremiah received the word of the Lord, he's like, man, this word, I just, I feel like it's fire in my bones. If I don't let it out, I'm going to explode. I can't help myself. That's the message of hope. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we're called to live, family. Transform, letting this word change us because we keep our eyes fixed on him. And there's days we're going to be looking at him and it feels like we're not really seeing much. But don't let your gaze wander if it feels like you're not seeing much or you feel like you're getting a little bored. Don't let your gaze wander because the more time that passes and you feel like you're not seeing much, the closer you are to seeing that supernatural thing come to life. 
The word is coming. The word is alive and active. And you have it. It belongs to you because he gave it to you. This thing, this thing changes us on the inside out and comes bursting forth in power. I, I want to close with, with this thought, and it's this, um, this. I just read this week this statistic. It came out from Lifeway Research. It says, within the next six months, so by May, right? In the next six months, 61% of American Christians will not have shared Jesus with anyone in their life. So between now and May, of those of us sitting in this room, 61% of us will not sh share anything about God to one person in our lives. This is a statistic. And I say to myself, what's the, what is our condition of our heart? Like, what's going on here? Like, has, has the message of hope somehow gotten stale? Has, has the church not understood what God has actually given to us? I think that's part of it. We don't grasp really the vastness and the power of what God has done in our lives and what he's given us. Has, has our church, the church's leaders, have we failed to communicate it faithfully? That could be part of it too. Have believers maybe, have Christians opted to kind of warm ourselves by proximity to the fire rather than inviting the fire to in and burn within us, igniting us on fire for God. I don't know what it is, but my prayer for the church at large is that we would not just see the message, that we would just not just see the presence of God, but that we would pursue it and invite it, that it would invade our beings, and that this thing would move us and change our chemistry and transform us from the inside and begin to do its work even on the outside. This is what we believe in, that God transforms our lives. And guess what? As he transforms us one at a time, that begins to transform our communities. That's how the kingdom of God advances and it grows, through you. As we speak it out, as we receive the prophetic word and then share the prophetic word. It has to be on our lips. We have to speak about it. Like God said to Isaiah, cry out. What should I say? If you can't think of anything else to say, just lift your eyes to God and put your hope in him. Lift your eyes to God and let him do the speaking, but point your finger to him that he would receive the glory. He's going to receive it one way or another. <laughs> we want to be on the right side of that. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer and then we're going to take communion together.